Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Today, we're going to use our Holy Spirit imagination, or sanctified imagination, as some people call it. I want to encourage you all and myself to imagine, to visualize, to picture what it would have been like to actually have been with Jesus here in person, in the flesh, when he was here on earth. The disciples were with him 24-7 every day of the year for three and a half years. Now, did you ever think about why would they leave everything, their jobs, their business, their wives, their kids, their friends, their family, their religion? Why would they leave it all to follow Jesus? What was it that attracted them to him? Well, Peter was one of the first whom Jesus invited to follow him, and we can learn a lot from Peter. He's a, his life is a great example of what we call progressive revelation, not progressive as it's used today uh, in some circles to mean liberal politically, but progressive as God proceeds to reveal more and more every day to us of who God really is, how good he really is. All right. Peter was a Jewish fisherman. All the Jews, the nation of Israel, was under Roman occupation. It was a dark, sad situation. They had to pay exorbitant taxes to the Romans and do whatever the Romans said. He believed in and feared Adam's dark, religious, small-g God. He was terribly afraid of Jesus when he first realized that Jesus was from God. And he said, oh, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. See, he believed that God couldn't stand to be in his presence, that God was keeping a list of his sins, and that God was ever ready to punish him. He believed that God only loved the Jewish people, but they were actually punishing them at the time, being under Roman occupation because of their sin. He believed that they had to keep all the rules of their God to keep God from loving them and favoring them. Why would somebody like him follow Jesus? Over three and a half years, Jesus progressively revealed to Peter and the disciples, revealed his father, the only true God, to Peter. Jesus, of course, is one with his father. He's the exact representation of God. So what was Jesus actually like to be around? Was he like Adam's dark, angry, religious, small g God? Or was he like something else? Let's look at how Peter described Jesus to a pagan Roman household, a people in place that the Jewish religion told Peter never to talk to. This was a household of Roman people, people who were occupying them. The guy was a soldier in a Roman army. God led him, the Holy Spirit led him to their house. It was against their religion to associate with them, to go into their house, let alone to accept them, let alone to even think, imagine, that God included them in his love. 
Here's what uh, Peter said in Acts 10, 34, when he goes to their house. He said, well, things have changed. Now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. It makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. They are acceptable before God. Then he says, God sent his word, Jesus, to the Jewish people first, announcing the wonderful news of hope and peace through Jesus, the anointed one, the Lord of all. Now, that's from the Passion Translation. And Brian Simmons emphasizes in his footnote there that God is the Lord of all people, not just the Jews, as Peter had thought. Remember the angel's pronouncement or proclamation of the gospel when Jesus was born? It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The angel appears to the shepherds, and they're scared to death because they believed in Adam's dark, angry, religious God, and they thought these guys were from him. But he said, no, the angel says, don't be afraid. I've come to bring you good news. I've come to bring you the gospel, the most joyous news the world has ever heard, and it is for everyone everywhere. The mirror says, the angel said, listen, I have the most wonderful announcement to make. This will lead to the great encounter of the most joyful bliss for every single person on the planet. Your Savior, the Savior of the world, has been born today. My friend Malcolm Smith says that the original meaning in the Old English of the gospel was the good, glad, merry news that makes a man fairly leap for joy. All right, back to Acts 10, verse 38. Peter goes on to tell this Roman uh, guy in his household, Jesus of Nazareth was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with great power. He did wonderful things for others and divinely healed all who were under the tyranny of the devil, for God had anointed him. And Brian Simmons there says in his footnotes, the Greek word for devil can also be translated slanderer hyphen liar. NIV says Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God is with him. What is somebody like whom God is with? We learn today in quantum physics, quantum science, quantum spirituality, it's a person with high vibes who's in tune, who there's no disharmony or disease there. The message says Jesus went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down, and he was able to do all this because God was with them. So Peter said Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the slanderer liar. Now, one of my main points today is that Jesus went around doing good and healing people. But I want to do just a little sidebar here. I want, to, want you to know that the slanderer liar, evil personified, slanders and lies. Who does he slander? God. He maligns God's character and lies about God, and tries to deceive us into believing that God is like Adam's dark, religious, scary, angry concept of a small g God. That is what Peter thought until Jesus revealed to him differently. Now, back to what Jesus was like when he was here on earth. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the slanderer or liar. 
Wouldn't you want to be around somebody who went around doing good all the time? Picture yourself as one of Jesus' followers, hanging out with him. You probably had a t-shirt on that said, it's okay, I'm with the band, Jesus' band of disciples. You were his group, his peeps, his homies, his friends, his gang. You were there with him. You were with him early in the morning before he did good things. You were with him all throughout the day when he did good things. And you were with him afterwards, after he had done good things. Just picture that. Let's look at some examples, some specifics. Jesus went about feeding hungry people, giving them more food than they can eat with lots of leftovers. What was the mood like when he did that? Jesus turned water into wine, free wine, the best wine ever, and gave people more than they could consume. What was the mood like? Jesus gave people who were born blind, deaf, and unable to speak sight and hearing and speech. What was the mood like when he did that? Jesus made people walk who were paralyzed all our life. What was the mood like of the people around there? Jesus restored withered arms to people, made them whole. What was the mood like? Jesus healed people with cancer and leprosy. What was the mood like? Jesus healed a woman who was crippled and bent over for decades. He made her straight and whole. What was the mood like with the people around there, with the woman, with the disciples? One time Jesus' and disciples were going along and there was a funeral procession. And the people were carrying a coffin that had a woman's only son in it. He was dead. They were taking him to bury him. And Jesus raised him from the dead. What was the mood like? You think people went, oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> no. One time Jesus raised a man's 12-year-old daughter from the dead. I mean, she died in her bed in her house. And Jesus raised her from the dead. What do, what do you think the mood was like? Jesus raised two women's beloved brother. They were not married. He was their source of income and protection. He raised him from the dead. What was the mood like? Now, specifically for Peter, the commercial fisherman, their taxes were due one time and they had no money. Jesus said, well, just go fishing. The first fish you pull in is going to have a coin in his mouth, which happened. And there was enough, that coin was worth enough to pay both their taxes. What do you think their mood was like? Jesus forgave people their sins. What do you think people's mood was like when he did that? Jesus cast demons out of people and restored them to their right minds. What do you think their mood was like? Jesus kept the woman caught in adultery from being stoned to death. What was the mood like? Jesus told despised people, outcasts, the dregs of society, those who were, who were ostracized, especially from the religious society, society. Jesus accepted them. He ate with them. He went to their homes and hung out with them. He told them how much God loved them. He showed them how much he loved them. He didn't mention their sins. He just told them how much he loved them and how much God loved them. And in the process, he showed them how much God liked them and enjoyed them. What do you think the mood was like at those parties? When his followers, who left everything, saw him be arrested and beaten and condemned and flogged and ridiculed and spit on and crucified and died and then rose from the dead in a perfect new body with a smile on his face, what do you think their mood was like? Back to Acts 10, verse 39. Peter said, we apostles were eyewitnesses to the miracles that he performed throughout the land of Israel. There was a common theme all of those times with all of those miracles. Every time Jesus did something good, which was all the time, every day, there was a common mood. 
You know what it was, don't you? It was joy. It was pure joy. It was good, glad, merry news that makes a man fairly leap for joy. Virtually every time Jesus did something good, we're told in Scripture that the people rejoiced. Of course they did. They were filled with joy. There was great rejoicing. Don't just gloss over that when you read that or think about that. Put yourself there. Imagine what it was like being with Jesus when he healed a lame person and they were able to walk for the first time ever. Think about being part of Jesus' group, his traveling party, his closest friends. Put yourself in their shoes. Each time you saw Jesus something do something good, what, what would your reaction be? What would your expression be? How would you act? Think about a football team after somebody makes a great play. I live close to Kansas City. The Kansas City Chiefs are my team. You may have heard of their our quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. As I'm recording this, the night before they beat the second-best team in the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens, play after play, pass after pass, touchdown after touchdown, after they make a great play, what do the other players do? Grown men, they jump up and down, and they celebrate, and they laugh, and they high-five, and they got all kinds of fun actions that they do bumping into each other and everybody. Think about during a baseball game after a home run. The other players come out of the dugout, and they fist bump and smile and laugh and celebrate. Just a couple of days ago here in Kansas City, our longtime outfielder, Alex Gordon, retired. They played a lot of the highlights of his games. One of them was when he hit a home run to tie the first game of the World Series. They were playing the Mets. The Royals were. They were behind in the ninth inning of the first game. If you lose the first game, it's downhill from there. It's not that you can't come back, but it's much harder. He had a home run in the ninth inning to tie the game, send it into extra innings, and they won. And they celebrated. Uh, And think about each time a team wins a game afterwards. The team goes out on the field. They get in a couple of lines. Everybody high fives each other, fist bumps, does those fun action things. They smile, laugh, and hug and embrace. I mean, think about when somebody hits a walk-off home run or throws a no-hitter or saves the game by robbing the other team of a home run by catching it up over the fence. Think about when a team wins the World Series. There's this huge dog pile at home plate. There's a celebration. There's champagne in the locker room. That's all for a ball game, which I love. But think about being a part of a team that raises somebody from the dead. (laughs) Think about the celebration when somebody turns water into wine or gives a blind person sight or heals a person with cancer. Imagine that. Heals a quadriplegic. Every time there had to be, and their text says there was a giant celebration with great joy just overwhelming gladness. They rejoiced. They were filled with bliss and wonder and gladness, exceedingly abundant joy, abounding joy. Abounding means to be present in large numbers or in great quantity, to be prevalent, overwhelming joy. The good, glad, merry news that makes a man fairly jump for joy. Now, the night before Jesus died, when he knew he was facing the cross, unbelievable physical and spiritual horror in less than 12 hours, Jesus said this to his disciples in John 15. He'd been summarizing all of his stuff. And he said, my purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Twelve hours before he was going to be crucified. Where was his joy? In his heart, in his spirit, in the real him. Look at what Hebrews 12, 2 says. The author says, we look away from the natural realm. 
what we can see in the natural world, what appears to be true in our mind. We look away from that and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us. There's only one faith, Scripture says, Jesus' faith, and he birthed that within us. We fasten our gaze on Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, now get this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, now that's you, because Jesus' heart was focused on the joy of knowing you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross. He conquered its humiliation, and he now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down because his work was done. Jesus' joy was in his heart, even though his mind was troubled so much that he sweat great drops of blood. Was Jesus always full of joy? Well, yes, his heart was the fruit of the Spirit, first fruit of the Spirit, first expression of love is joy. Did Jesus always feel joyful? Of course not. He was fully human. He had a human mind. Proverbs 4.23, written centuries before Jesus, said, Keep and guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the springs of life. Joy, life is in our heart, not in our mind. Our minds deal with what happens around us. Happiness comes from happenings. But joy comes from our heart, from our spirit, deep inside of us. Jesus was in great distress, thinking in his human mind about the horror of the cross. He was sad and wept when his close friends, Mary and Martha, were devastated that their brother and Jesus' friend Lazarus died. I mean, bad stuff happened to Jesus, of course. But Jesus always knew the end of the story. He knew what was going to happen next. He had the spirit mind of Christ. He knew in his heart that God was always working out everything for the good, the restoration of all things. He knew in his heart, his faith, Jesus' faith, that he would rise from the dead, perfect with a new body that would never get sick or die. And as a result, he knew that the whole world would be saved from Adam's dark, religious, small g, angry God mindset. Look at what John wrote in helping us grasp divine joy. First John 1, 3 to 4. He said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard about this life giver so that we may share and enjoy this life together. For truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, the Anointed One. We are writing these things to you because we want to release to you our fullness of joy. And that's why I'm teaching this today. That's why I do the things I do in ministry. I want to release to you God's fullness of joy. Enjoy fellowship with the Trinity. Release their fullness of joy. So how do we do that? I mean, we have a human mind like Jesus did. You know, we see bad things going on. We experience bad things. But we also know that Christ is in us. We also have the mind of Christ, which is our spirit or our heart. And we know from what John wrote in 1 John four seventeen, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. To begin with today, I said I wanted to encourage you and myself to imagine to picture what it would have been like to be around Jesus when he was here on earth. Well, actually, today, of course, Jesus is here on earth, closer to us than the air we breathe. You are with Jesus. 
He is one with you. You are one with him. He is in you and you are in him. Just like the disciples were with Jesus 24-7. So now as you go about your day, today and every day, remember Jesus, Papa, and the Holy Spirit are with you. They are smiling. They are full of joy. They delight in giving you air to breathe and food to eat and a place to live and appliances to use and music and art and sports and games and literature and all those things to enjoy. They give you friends and loved ones and families for you to enjoy. All those things touch your heart. Just like when he was here on earth physically, Jesus continually goes about doing good every day and healing broken hearts and anxious thoughts and releasing captives, giving spiritual light to people who've been prisoners of darkness. And Jesus and Papa and the Holy Spirit laugh and delight and enjoy every bit of it. Jesus said in Luke 8, 18, he says, Pay careful attention to your hearts as you hear my teaching. For to those who have open hearts, even more revelation will be given unto them until it overflows. Pay attention to what your heart, your spirit is showing you right now about God's joy. You get more and more gifts of revelation until you overflow with them. I got an email, not just to me, but it was personalized. It goes out to several people from my friend Catherine Toon recently. She sent this out this summer, and she said, Paul, I keep hearing the word responsive for you. She said, God showed me a picture. Jesus is stacking gift boxes. The boxes are empty, but Jesus continually stacks them up for you. He smiles at Papa and the Holy Spirit while he's doing it. They smile back. The boxes are stacked up so high and deep, I can't see any end to them. Jesus turns to you. His face fully fills the range of view. He has a big smile. His eyes are so deep and sparkling. Okay, he says, what can I get you? Ask anything. You hesitate and hem and haw. You finally spit out an answer. Jesus, Papa, and the Holy Spirit are so excited, they leap in response and hand you one of the small empty boxes. As they release it into your hands, it morphs into the shape of your request. They laugh with joy as you jolt backwards with surprise. Jesus says, all right, great practice. Ask again. (laughs) You get to practice and practice, she says. Each time you ask for something, Papa Jesus and the Holy Spirit are delighted. They're full of joy. So, she says, turn your affection and attention to Papa Jesus and the Holy Spirit and start practicing. Well, thanks, Catherine, for that wonderful picture, that wonderful note. And that's not just for me or just for the people she sent it to. It's for all of you. Pay attention to what your heart Your spirit is showing you right now, today, about God's joy. Practice asking and receiving and experiencing joy. And as you do, you'll get more and more gifts of revelation until you just overflow with joy. Again, I want to finish with what my friend Malcolm Smith says. He has a great knowledge of the English words and their history. He's British, comes from London, and he says that in the Old English, when the King James Version of the Bible was translated, when they used the word gospel, it actually meant the good, glad, merry news that makes a man fairly leap for joy. That's a great way to think of what it's like to be with Jesus. Leap for joy. Hey, thanks everybody for being with me today for Grace to All with Paul Gray. I'll see you next time. Love you all. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.